So this is um, really kind of my first day of you know, public activity as your pastor. And it, it uh, began this morning uh, when we had a very brief Ash Wednesday service for uh, the school. And it's kind of weird because if you think about it, my first like public action as the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Albuquerque was to tell a whole bunch of children that they're going to die. <laughs> so it's really hard to know what to do with that. And, uh, and, and really, it's something that our culture does not want to talk about or think about all that much. We don't have a lot of ways of like public grieving. Or public mourning. And, and as I was thinking, like, surely there are some examples of things that we do. Uh, the only thing that kind of came to mind, although I'm sure I'm missing something, was a memory of a, of a friend who lost her sister um, several years ago, very unexpectedly. And of course, the family was just crushed. And she came to church <clears throat> that following Sunday, and she just, she, she walked into the sanctuary, and she just kept her sunglasses on. Um, it wasn't much, but we knew you know, why she was wearing them. But that was it. Like, we, we tend not to do grief or mourning or sadness very well. Like, how many times have somebody asked you, hey, how are you doing? And you said, oh, fine. When your brain is going like, your life is like falling apart. Why did you tell that person that you're fine? Like we, we just have this tendency to, to hold the stuff of ashes away from us. Now that's kind of a topic for, for another time. But today on Ash Wednesday, we bring these two elements to the forefront. Dust and ashes. We impose the ash, reminding you that you are dust. Now throughout the biblical narrative... Uh, being made from dust is a way that the writers of the Bible would talk about mortality. You are made from dust, it means that someday the body that is breathing, known as you, will not breathe again. And your body will then decompose and you will return to the dust. Now, it is true that sometimes in the Bible, dust just means like really fine dirt. But if you were to do a, a word study of some kind, you would see it's pretty consistent. Dust reminds us that we will return to the earth. Now, ashes uh, were often used as symbols of grief in the ancient world, especially the world of the Bible. You might mix dust and ashes and put them in your hair. You might sit in dust and ashes as uh, repentance or as grief as a way of publicly proclaiming to everybody that something has gone horribly wrong and I am not okay and it is important that you know that about me. Dust and ash are symbols of the things that have gone terribly wrong leading ultimately to that great thief, death itself. So this season of Lent, during these midweek services, we are going to be looking at the person of Joseph, the uh, a 
makes his first appearance in Genesis 30, as we heard read. And he, he's a very important person uh, in the, the history of Israel. And more so than just that, he's pretty unique in that as you kind of dig into his life and you kind of look at the things he went through and, and the situations he found himself in and how God used him, uh, commentators throughout the centuries have noticed that he seems a little like Jesus. Not that he is Jesus or something like that, but if you kind of look at Joseph from the right angles, you can see these very distinct hints, suggestions, that the way his life is patterned perhaps speak to somebody greater who is coming. And so we're going to do that over the next however many weeks. I can't remember because it's late and math is hard. But over the series of, uh, or over the season of Lent, we're going to look at how Joseph speaks to Jesus, speaks toward Jesus. And we're going to start by looking at his birth. Now, what you heard read in Genesis 30, that uh, his mother, Rachel, uh, was given Joseph by God, and she was very excited because it took away her reproach, and, and she was very happy that she was able to have a son. Now, that's, that's great, but there's a lot that goes into that story. So we're going to take just very, very quickly, uh, we're going we're to go back and look at like, what led up to that moment. Now, FYI, I'm going to throw a bunch of names and situations at you, and if you find yourself kind of going, I can't keep track of it all, that's totally fine. The point is I just want you to get a sense of the, the flavor of these stories. See, Joseph's father is Jacob, who will one day be named by God Israel, like that Israel, the guy Israel, who... His, his uh, descendants became the nation, uh, the great nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But Jacob, if you've ever read the story in Genesis, is a crook. He steals and cheats all kinds of people, and it gets him in loads of trouble. And uh, I guess as he's growing up, he uh, encounters this woman named Rachel. And he thinks to himself... That is exactly who I want to marry. It's very romantic, if you can tell. That's a joke, by the way. Um, he sees Rachel, and he decides that this is the woman he is going to marry. So he goes to Rachel's father, and uh, her father says, Okay, great, you've got to work for me for a while. And so he does. He puts in his time, because apparently she's worth it. And he finally says, okay, I've put in my time. It is time now for me to marry your daughter, Rachel. And her father says, okay, fine. And so they, I guess, have this big celebration. The Bible's very scant on the details. And lo and behold, the next morning he realizes he didn't marry Rachel. Because his father-in-law pulled a fast one and said, yeah, but Rachel's the younger daughter the older daughter has to be married first, so actually you married Leah. I don't know how that happened. Maybe it was quite a party, a lot of wine, it was dark in the tent. I don't know. I'm not going to go there. But the crook got swindled. And then 
He says, he's of course upset, he's furious, which how do you think that made Leah feel? Awful. He goes then to his father-in-law and says, no, 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 but I want Rachel. And so his father-in-law says, okay, fine, seven more years. He puts in the time and he finally gets to marry Rachel. This whole time, Leah is, is just second string. Ouch. Now, finally, they, they, they want to start, like, I guess, really having kids or something like that. And so uh, Leah, as it turns out, uh, has lots of kids. But Rachel, the one that is his favorite, is, for whatever reason, infertile. She is unable to have children. It's devastating in the modern era. It speaks, however, like to your worth as a person in a very fundamental way in the ancient world. And so she's got to deal with that heartache and frustration while Leah is having kids. And so then Rachel gets this idea, like, look, my parents gave me this slave who's a woman. Here, Jacob, you marry her and have children with her so that then they'll be like my children. Yikes. Now, I, I got to ask you, and this is, this is an uncomfortable observation, you think that uh, her slave could consent to any of that? No. That's awful. And then Leah does the same thing. So finally, you get to the passage where God allows Rachel to become pregnant and have Joseph. But think about the carnage and the heartache and the brokenness that led up to that mess. That is a lot of ash and dust. That is a mess. That is heartbreaking. It's horrible. It's like people acting at their worst all because they decide to do what's right in their own eyes. And when we do that, we will eventually just end up with ash and dust as we look at the wreckage that got us to this point. And yet, God in his graciousness sends Joseph to Rachel. And Joseph will become a legitimately amazing person. He will save a whole lot of lives and he will accomplish far more than anybody imagined. But leading up to that moment where his mother becomes pregnant with him, it is nothing but ash and dust and a wreckage of human lives. Now to draw the parallel, Jesus enters into a world filled with ash and dust. First century Judea was under the thumb of the Roman Empire. There was an occupation force reminding them of who is really in charge here. His world is broken politically. It is broken economically. It is broken spiritually. The people who should have known better, who should have been shepherding God's chosen people, were likewise themselves too broken. And Jesus actually uh, 
laments and, and attacks them. We heard him in, in the gospel reading saying, like, you hypocrites. You can kind of read between the lines saying, you were the people who were supposed to know better. But you are using your spiritual authority for your own gain? His world is ash and dust. The temple itself on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the place where God's presence actually dwells. It's not a metaphor. If you ask people where God was, then they would point to the temple in Jerusalem. Even the temple itself was just a hive of corruption. And then, in this backwood city of Bethlehem in the first century, this kid gets born to a couple that doesn't matter. They're but just a couple of peasants under dubious circumstances. And as it turns out, to use uh, the words of John, who wrote a, a story of Jesus' life, that this was the word that was spoken to create the universe entering into a creation that is filled with ash and dust. And, and in my kind of theological imagination, I imagine like creation itself. And the Apostle Paul kind of writes like this, that creation itself starts to like reverberate. Like maybe it remembers. Maybe it knows in some really hard to explain way that its creator is back. That God is writing himself into the story of humanity to take the ash and the dust of mourning and of repentance, of sadness and grief, and actually transform it into something beautiful. Now, it's it's Ash Wednesday, so I don't want to resolve anything too much because the, the season of Lent is about waiting for resolution, waiting for that moment when Jesus walks out of his tomb after his death. But for now, as we sit here with like ash on our forehead and, and dust everywhere because it's the desert and it's so dusty, that as we are sitting here reflecting, and remembering and thinking about the ash and the dust in our own lives. With the rest of creation, we wait. Because God has now written himself into the story. And he has big plans for how that story is going to go. Amen.